Hi, and welcome to Energy News Bulletin, Australasia's newest energy podcast, brought to you by Aspermont Limited. In this podcast, we take a look at one company in particular. Empire Energy, an ASX-listed company trading under the ticker EEG. Empire Energy is an Australian small-cap oil and gas exploration company. It's one of the first movers in the frontier Beetaloo and MacArthur basins in the Northern Territory. And true to its name, has grown an empire of its own. It holds a whopping 14 million acres of exploration leases across the region. For those who don't know, the Beetaloo Basin in the Northern Territory is one of Australia's largest onshore shale gas deposits. On a global scale, it's been compared to the basins in Texas and elsewhere in the US. Recent analysis has found that the basin could hold enough gas to power Australia for decades to come and provide a useful resource for energy generation internationally. It's important to note that overseas customers such as Japan, China and India are all looking to cull their coal consumption. They want to replace it with our gas, which is more environmentally friendly. Gas will be an important commodity, used to back up renewables when the sun doesn't shine and the wind doesn't blow. It also has the potential to create hydrogen, which doesn't create emissions when burnt. But there's a problem. Australia's market operator has warned that declining gas fields in the south, along with the massive exports of liquefied natural gas, LNG, to other countries, will leave the east coast with a shortfall of gas for energy generation and that could come as soon as 2024. So Australian industry leader Empire Energy is looking to solve this issue by exploring the new Beetaloo Basin to fill this void. Joining me now is the Managing Director, Alex Underwood. Alex, it's good to have you with me today. All good stories start at the beginning. Let's start with who Empire is and and how you became involved in the company. Yeah, so Empire Energy is an upstream oil and gas company listed on the ASX, focused on the Northern Territory's emerging Beedaloo and MacArthur shale basins. It's a company that I've known well for over 10 years now, as it was one of my clients when I was at Macquarie Bank in their metals and energy capital division. And uh, it's it's a company that you know I believe has uh, significant potential as one of the emerging leaders in the new shale gas industry in Australia. Let's talk briefly about your team. I note uh, just yesterday you made a announcement to the ASX about bringing on board a new uh, director. Tell me a bit about your team and a bit about their background and and what they bring to Empire. Yeah, certainly. So um, over the last two and a bit years that I've been running the company, we've we've gone through a big transformation. So we've shifted away from an old focus of uh, US producing conventional oil and gas assets, and we've shifted our focus to the Northern Territory, as I mentioned. That's required the reconstruction of our team. Uh, We have a a really uh, great board of directors who are all new to the board over the last two years. Some of the uh, key members of our board are Paul Espy, our chairman, who is a a highly respected figure in the Australian mining and finance industry. Uh, John Gerrity is also on our board. He uh, was one of the founders of Macquarie Bank and uh, has been on the board of a number of successful resources companies over the years. John Warburton joined our board a couple of years ago. He's been involved in the company since 2010, and it was actually responsible for identifying the potential of the Beedaloo and MacArthur basins for us, one of the first people in the entire industry to do so. And just yesterday, we announced 
the appointment of Peter Cleary to the board, which we're very excited about. Peter comes with a distinguished executive career in oil and gas at BP and Santos and has been heavily involved in the LNG industry over recent years. So we are very excited to welcome Peter to the board. I've also built a a management team over the last uh, little while, including David Evans, our Chief Operating Officer, who's drilled lots of wells onshore Australia, and Alex Bruce, who's our Chief Geoscientist, who's really helping us get a better understanding of our assets up in the Northern Territory. I think it'd be good early on in this interview to take a look at the market as it is. So we have a bit more of an understanding of of where things lie in Australia. Currently, our third biggest resource export is uh, LNG. We're facing a stark lack of uh, gas domestically. Uh, That's according to the Australian uh, market operator. How is Empire looking to help that? It's it's interesting that um, you mentioned that because our country should have some of the cheapest gas prices in the world. We've been endowed with incredible resource wealth in this country and particularly in the energy sector. You know, I think there have been numerous restrictions on the development of our resources across Australia. You know, I I think it's a credit to both the Northern Territory government and the federal government that they recognise that there are impediments to development and they are working to remove those. We think that uh, the Beedaloo Basin and particularly our role in it can play a huge role in opening up Australia's supply of uh, affordable domestic energy. I've witnessed myself the incredible bounty that shale gas has brought to everyone in the US. It's gone from being heavily reliant on imported energy, but it's now energy self-sufficient and actually exporting energy around the world. But also cheap energy has not only brought down household power and um, heating bills, but also brought significant manufacturing back to the US. And this is really because shale gas is one of the most efficient ways of extracting and and producing and selling gas in the world. And we are really excited that we have the opportunity to replicate the success of the US boom here in Australia, which will not only complement LNG exports out of existing infrastructure in Darwin, but also help bring down gas prices inside Australia and also bring back a, a proliferation of of manufacturing into our country. On that, the Beedaloo and MacArthur, shale gas plays, they're not something that Australia's ever been known for. So it is truly a new frontier. Many small caps have stayed in relatively safe basins. Empire has instead looked um, to the north, to the territory. Was there a moment that, that really struck Empire as a company where the board decided, okay, that's where we need to be? Yeah, so um, if, if you look back at the earlier history of our company, the initial investment in oil and gas that our company made was in the state of Pennsylvania in the US. And our former CEO, Bruce McLeod, acquired some conventional producing gas assets in the northwestern portion of Pennsylvania. And within a couple of years, the Marcellus Shale exploded onto the map and became a major source of gas supply for the US. That was really his trigger point for working out that shale gas could be replicated, not just in the US, but elsewhere. And so he tasked John Warburton, one of our directors, with finding shale basins outside the US. And John recognised that the Beedaloo and MacArthur had significant potential. That potential uh, did take quite some time to be unlocked. Uh, The Northern Territory had a moratorium on fracking. Uh, they put a um, an inquiry in place which found that fracking could be carried out safely if adequately regulated. And the regulatory settings are now in place for a recommencement of activity. And you know, I recognised over the last two years that 
this could be a major supply base for Australia. And so that's why I've pivoted our strategy towards the Northern Territory over the last couple of years. Given that the the region that you're playing in it or that you're exploring at the moment, the Beetaloo and MacArthur, as as we've discussed, are, are frontier plays. What do we know about them so far? I mean, it's it's different uh, compared to other onshore basins where perhaps there's been, you know, a hundred wells drilled versus somewhere where there's been maybe one to ten wells drilled. What do we know so far? It's already been well established that in the Beetaloo and MacArthur basins, there are enormous volumes of gas in place. The Northern Territory Geological Survey, uh, which is independent of industry, has assessed that the Middle Velkeri B shale, which is one of the more prospective shales of the Beetaloo, has approximately 500 trillion cubic feet of gas in place. Mm. That's been established by around 17 wells that have been drilled across the basin over the last 30 years or so. It should be noted, again, going back to the US experience, that been well known in the industry for decades now that shale contains enormous quantities of hydrocarbons. What, what the real step change was in the US was the development of fracture stimulation and horizontal drilling, which allowed commercial volumes of hydrocarbons to be released from these very tight rocks. Where we are in the industry now in Australia, in the Beetaloo Basin in particular, is that we've moved beyond the exploration phase and we're moving into the appraisal phase. So Santos carried out a vertical fracture stimulation of their well Tanamberini 1 earlier this year, which got better than expected results, about 1.2 million cubic feet a day. Origin has drilled the only fracked horizontal well in the basin so far called Amunji Northwest 1H, and that got um, encouraging results. And uh, Origin has drilled their second well, Kyala 117. They haven't yet fracture stimulated it, but that's what they'll be doing next. And, And these fracture stimulation jobs on horizontal wells are all really designed to achieve a commercial flow rate because if you can get a commercial flow rate from one or two wells, uh, it has enormous implications across the whole basin in terms of moving towards that commercialisation phase. Well, let's look at where you are now. I mean, possibly the most exciting news that your company has released this year has been uh, an estimation of uh, reserves and resources. Let's take a look at that. It's a tra- your your announcement uh, over recent weeks has attracted a lot of attention from investment houses as well as the media. It's an independent resource of 13.5 trillion cubic feet across your uh, land foot, your your uh, portfolio in the Northern Territory. That's huge, but I, I think some people might struggle to grapple with just how big that is. How big is it? Can you put that into perspective? Yeah, so it is an enormous volume of gas. We're talking about approximately the amount of gas that would underwrite uh, the construction of three LNG trains, for example. Now, I do stress that this is a, a prospective recoverable resource. So these are not proved and probable reserves yet. We need to do further work to get to that stage. But this is really an estimate of, of the potential of our properties. One of the things I recognised was that when you're talking about such enormous volumes of gas, you really need it to be assessed by a credible source. And so the reason we've gone with Netherlands Sewell is that they are highly respected by the industry and finance providers and investors around the world in the oil and gas sector. They've assessed you know, scores of projects across the US. They have a lot of experience assessing the resources of the Beetaloo Basin. Um, and so they know what they're doing and, and their views are respected highly by global investors. We have some key information that's helped them arrive at that uh, assessment. 
particularly a, a seismic program that we carried out recently. We carried out a 231 line kilometre 2D seismic program late last year. We were the first junior in the basin to carry out on-ground activity under the new red regulations, which we were really proud about. And um, we were really delighted with those results because we can see on the seismic that the, uh, the shales are at depths that are ideal for petroleum development, uh, but also world-class thickness. And, and world-class thickness means you're carrying very large volumes of hydrocarbons in place. So not only can we see that the shales are there in our tenement, but we can also see through old seismic data that it's coming right across from the Santos well Tanimbarini 1 into our tenement. So that allowed Netherlands Sewell and Associates to formulate this very substantial resource. Well, what then will it take to, to, to prove these resources? What's the next step? The next step for us is uh, drilling our first well in EP187. That well's called Carpenteria 1. Uh, we raised money in November last year, so we've got about $11 million cash in the bank, which is really important having gone into this economic downturn we're in, that we're well cashed up and we're in a position where we can drill the well. We've recently gone through some of the additional regulatory requirements that COVID-19 required, but we now have all of our drilling approvals in place from the Northern Territory Government. We're speaking to rig providers, and we're really excited about getting out on country and drilling that well later this year. That well will be a vertical exploration well where we will take core from the Kyala Shale and the Velkeri Shale, and we will also carry out DFITs, which are, that stands for Diagnostic Fracture Injection Tests, colloquially known in the industry as mini fracks. So mm. that will give us an indication of how we should go out and do a, a bigger fracture stimulation job. That well is being designed in a way that we can actually suspend it and come back and do future work. And the next stage would be a vertical frack, most likely of the Velkeri Shale. We've already started the government approvals process for that, even though we haven't drilled the well yet. And um, we, we expect to do that early next year. And then the next stage after that would be really a, a horizontal fracture-stimulated appraisal well. Again, we may be able to use the same well bore to drill the horizontal section. And what we'd be looking at there is, is trying to get some commercial flow rates, which would allow us to be pushing our prospective resources to contingent resources and ultimately reserves. Let's talk about Carpenteria One. It's going to mean a great deal to the company, but how deep is it going to be and, and what's the design of it? Because um, I understand it's a different design to, say, Santos or Origin out there. Can you um, illuminate that for us? Yeah, sure. So we can see on the seismic that the Kyala Shale is at around 1,200 metres deep and then the Velkeri Shale extends from around 2,200 to 2,800 metres deep. So the prognosed depth of this well will be 2,900. We want to go right through uh, to the bottom of the Velkeri. And as I mentioned before, we'll be uh, taking core and doing defits, uh, which will be really important in terms of understanding the rock mechanics uh, and also the way that we would look to do a, a fracture stimulation job. The well design is, is very well worked up. We're, we're working with a group called Engage up in Queensland who have drilled hundreds of wells across Australia for, originally they were Santos's coal seam methane drilling team, but now they work with lots of other small Australian companies to carry out drilling programs for them. The, uh, the well design uh, as planned is a, is a three string design. So three casing strings. Yeah, we're, really excited to get out on the ground and, and drill the well. We're, we're in active negotiations with, with rig contractors and um, look forward to getting on the ground. 
Tell me a little bit more about the geology of the play that you're looking at here, because I understand there's some differences in terms of the pressurisation of the, the gas down there. The Velkeri Shale, which is the primary target of us and all of the others across the basin, it, uh, as I mentioned, in our tenement, it's around 2,200 to 2,800 metres deep. It's a little bit deeper where Santos is, but around the same depth as us where Origin is. It's been well established across the basin that uh, it's slightly overpressured geology, mm. and that's really quite important because it um, it helps uh, it helps drive production rates uh, once you actually carry out a fracture stimulation to open up the rocks. So, you know, if you look at if you look in, again going back to the US analogy, the chances of technical success on these wells is always very high. You're always highly confident that you're going to hit the rocks. The the key is really whether you can extract them at commercial flow rates. And that's really what we'll be learning from, from our uh, upcoming work programs. Well, what, do you, what is the chance of success for this world? Do you know yet? Or is it too early to establish that? It's too early to say, but what I would say is that you know, we can clearly see these shales on the seismic. It's quite a different risk profile in shale to conventional drilling. So typically in conventional drilling, your chance of technical success, i.e. finding hydrocarbons, tends to be a lot lower. But then if you do, if you do hit hydrocarbons, then the chance of it being commercially successful is quite high. Here in, in shale, because we can see that it is so laterally extensive across very large areas, the risk around actually encountering hydrocarbons is actually quite low. The key issue for, for us and all of our neighbours as we collectively learn about this basin is whether we can make it a commercial success, hmm. i.e. whether the flow rates will justify the uh, capital expenditure. Well, you say you've got $11 million in the bank, um the Origin and Falcon Oil and Gas uh, joint venture are planning on spending about $30 million on their well. How much do you expect this well to cost? Uh, so we're certainly not planning for cost blowouts. And um, one of the reasons we work with Engage is that um, they are really experts on carrying out programs like ours. So single well program or a two well program where it's really important that they constrain the risk of a cost blowout on a well. Our drilling is going to be substantially cheaper than what Origin's doing at the moment. So Origin is is doing a horizontal well and they're doing about 20 fracture stimulation stages, as I understand. So that that's a big well uh, and, a, and a big program. Our vertical well is, is going to be a much simpler um, program for our drillers to carry out. And we're estimating that it will cost around six to $7 million to, to drill that well. Let's say uh, your dreams come true. It happens, you, you, uh, you have really successful results from Carpenteria One. Uh, what does the future look like in terms of development going forward from there? It clearly, uh, if we have the success that we, we are hoping for and um, we expect, that would move us in the next couple of years into a phase where you know we would potentially be drilling quite a large number of wells. The the 2.3 TCF of prospective resource we just have in our initial core work program area would require a number of of wells to be uh, fully developed, and and clearly that would quite quickly um, go beyond the um, financial capacity of our company in its current form. Mm. Uh, to that end. You know, our strategy to date has been to hold on to 100% working interest in our asset and fund the activities through our existing cash resources. 
the reason we've formed that view is that we just see so much more upside between now and, and moving on to that sort of appraisal and development phase that we wanted to hold on to 100% of the asset for as long as possible. But it's our view that with further success, not just by us, but also our neighbours who are making very substantial investments just down the road, we believe that we'll become a very attractive target for uh, joint ventures. Um, it's important to note that while the Beedaloo and MacArthur Basins are relatively remote, when you look at the global energy sector, the Northern Territory is incredibly strategically located to the major demand centres of Japan, South Korea and China. And also, um, you know, it's, it's really important to highlight that Darwin is already a major LNG export centre. So a lot of us in Australia don't necessarily recognise that. I think a lot of Australians see that the offshore gas fields of, of our northwest and the coal seam fields of Queensland are big LNG export centres, but Darwin is already a major LNG export centre. The Darwin LNG project has been in production for over a decade. Santos has just bought ConocoPhillips out of that project for a, about $2 billion Australian dollars. But also the ICTHIS LNG project was only commissioned about 15 months ago, and it's already delivering gas to Japan every day. And that was $43 billion US dollars of investment by Japan's INPEX and France's total. So there's ready access to market. And I believe that we will readily find joint venture capital from uh, the consumption markets of North Asia. So that's LNG exports. What about the domestic gas market? Obviously, uh, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, the Australian energy market operator predicts a huge lack of supply over the next five or so years. What about domestic gas? Is there infrastructure that would be able to pipe gas from your tenements, from your projects to the south? Absolutely. So um, a, a big, big milestone for the Northern Territory was the construction of the Northern Gas Pipeline by Gemina. Uh, that started producing early last year. Uh, it's, it's currently got a capacity of about 90 TJs a day, but that can be dramatically increased, not just with further compression, but also Gemina themselves said around the time that the moratorium was being lifted that they would look at very substantial investment to twin that pipeline if sufficient reserves were booked in the Beedaloo. So I think that has the potential to be a major source of gas for the east coast of Australia. But also I think it's really important to note that one of the Northern Territory government's goals is to add value to these molecules in Australia before we export them to Asia. So you know, downstream manufacturing, for example. And I note further that as part of the Federal government's desire to rebuild Australia's economy as we come out of the COVID-19 induced slump, you know, they are looking to affordable natural gas to help rebuild our manufacturing sector the way that shale gas has done that in the US. So Angus Taylor, the uh, federal energy minister, has been has coined the term the gas fired recovery, which I think is a great description of what they're trying to do. Um, and uh, that's going to require you know, substantial volumes of gas to come from multiple multiple basins across Australia, including the Beedaloo. So we've got access to these markets uh, through existing pipeline infrastructure. And really what we need to do is, is prove up these big resources so that we can 
move into the production phase and, and start adding to Australia's gas supply. Across your tenements um, and across your, your leasehold uh, in the Beetaloo and MacArthur, it's not just dry gas we're looking at, it's liquids-rich gas. And there's even potential, I mean, I, I read a recent report from Geoscience Australia and the CSIRO, which are pointing um, to more liquids and perhaps even oil or crude. Can you, can you elaborate on any of that for us? It's quite common in shale basins across the US that they're not just dry gas basins like we've seen with, say, the coal seam methane industry in Queensland. They do have a, um, a, a thermal maturity gradient where they can be either dry gas or condensate-rich gas or, or even oil. And there are multiple basins across the US where dry gas, wet gas and oil have been commercialised within the same basin. There is clear evidence that that is also the case here in the Beetaloo Basin. Origin Energy, for example, see the targeting of liquids-rich gas windows as being a, a really a core part of their strategy around the Beetaloo. We need to put this well down to get a sense of what kind of dry gas versus liquids content we, we have in our area. But based on the depth of uh, the shales in our tenement, we're reasonably confident that we will encounter liquids. And I think going back to the sort of the more macro theme, I think it's really important for Australia that we are identifying more sources of liquid hydrocarbons because you know, we are incredibly reliant on imported liquid fuels in this country. We only have about 30 days of refined product uh, mm. supply in our country at any given time. And coronavirus has shown us that, you know, as as a, as a global economy, we've been much too reliant on open trade routes. You know, I think it's really important that, you know, we have our own liquid fuel supplies in this country and the Beetaloo certainly has the potential to contribute to that. I'd like to look at government support and policy for a moment. You've mentioned that Angus Taylor is obviously eyeing the Beetaloo. In fact, just a few weeks ago, he said it could be the answer to Australia's uh, uh, fuel uh, domestic supply issues, and, and, and you've just uh, elaborated on that too. What's the general feeling from the Northern Territory government as well as the, the federal government? The moratorium's been lifted, but are they fully supportive? Are they on board? What, what's, their, what's their sense? Our relationship with the Northern Territory government is extremely strong. The industry in the Northern Territory is one of the most stringently regulated in the world. The inquiry that Justice Pepper conducted made 135 recommendations and the Northern Territory government accepted all of those recommendations. We as a company have accepted that protecting the unique natural environment of the Northern Territory and its people and communities, particularly Indigenous, is critical. You know, to that end, we've accepted the significant regulatory framework that's in place in the Northern Territory. Um, now that the regulatory settings are in place for further investment to be made, the Northern Territory government is really keen for us and our neighbours in the industry industry to, to get on and, and get this industry up and running. So the Northern Territory economy is facing significant challenges at the moment and the government recognises that a, a domestic onshore gas industry can provide significant economic opportunity for the people of the Northern Territory, not just through direct jobs like people in the, in the fields themselves, but also the support jobs that come around that and, as I mentioned, manufacturing. So the, the government's really supportive of our industry and and really keen for us to, to get on with the job and, and really helping us 
move forward. I find that it's a, a great jurisdiction to work in. Over the last three weeks, um, perhaps even less than that, I noticed that at least three investment houses have all upgraded their um, reviews of Empire Energy. Can you tell me a little bit about that, Alex? Yeah, sure. So we we currently have research coverage provided by um, Blue Ocean Equities, Taylor Collison and Research as a Service. Uh, they've all upgraded their price targets on our stock in the last couple of weeks on the back of the Netherlands Sul report. And I think it's really an endorsement of the credibility that Netherlands Sul brings uh, and also the ability for them to run comparable analysis to really understand what they think our valuation should be. So. They've all upgraded their price targets. I, for one, have been buying more, more shares in the company just recently and put out a change of director's interest notice to that effect because I think there's um, incredible value. I would also point out that while they have increased their share price targets, they are really just for this stage of expiration we're at. So I think there's very substantial further upside from those enhanced targets that they've put out. So when when do you plan on spudding this first well? Yeah, so we've basically, as I mentioned, we've got all of the regulations in place. We've got all of our government approvals. We're actively speaking to drilling contractors at the moment. You know, at this stage, I don't want to put a specific date on it, but certainly in the next uh, few months, we expect to be out on the ground. In in the Perth Basin, jumping a state away, if you like, um, a lot of junior operators have sort of collaborated and worked together um, with rig companies uh, for their benefit. Um, is that something that you could do with other operators in the Northern Territory? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Northern Territory is quite a long way away from um, most of the other oil and gas centres of Australia. And therefore, it's entirely logical that we as an industry work together. The drilling programs to date have been relatively bespoke because there's only been really two companies actively drilling in the basin, but but that's now three with us, you know, making our intentions clear. And I think that will increase over time because there are other operators in the basin uh, that are looking to get on with drilling as well. So it has been relatively bespoke to date, but certainly we as an industry up there, we're a pretty small industry. There's only a handful of us and I think we're pretty good at collaborating and um, you know, I see further collaboration on sharing rigs only increasing over the years ahead. You know, we as a company are really over the moon at this uh, resource report that Netherlands Sul has put out for us. We're really proud as one of the smaller operators in this basin that we're getting on with the job and that we're active and we're adding value to our properties. And, and we're just really excited about getting out on the ground and doing our next phase of work, which will be drilling this well. So um, yeah, that's uh, that's where we're at and really appreciate your interest in the company. Exciting times indeed. Alex Underwood, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks very much. Energy News is Australasia's most in-depth and comprehensive news service for oil and gas, hydrogen and new energy industries. You can find breaking stories on policy, research, technology, law and the latest on oil and gas exploration and production at energynewsbulletin.net. This podcast was produced by Aspermont Media, news for industry.